Shots Made Yesterday podcast, a podcast for tomorrow. I'm Justin, and I'm here to talk about those memories for tomorrow. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. I know we didn't have an episode last week, and I apologize. I just have to be real with you. Things have picked up here at home. Work has started to pick up. And I just wasn't able to get to secure a guest. Then I started thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I'm going to miss a week. Well, things happen, right? Hopefully, I'll have two episodes a month. That is my goal to start rolling out going forward. If I have more, surprise. Uh, If I have less, well, I'll try to let you know ahead of time. There's a funny story with today's guest, Sarah Willey from University of Missouri with St. Louis. We'll get to that here in just a few minutes. But a quick introduction of her, because since she was gracious enough to come on uh, last minute, dare I say. Sarah Willing is an experienced fundraising professional with a passion for learning, teaching, and building community. She currently works as Associate Director of Annual Giving at the University of Missouri-St. Louis and holds a master's degree in nonprofit management from Washington University in St. Louis, as well as the CFRE certification and the social media strategist certification from the National Institute for Social Media. She serves on the board of directors of the Association of Fundraising Professionals, St. Louis Regional Chapter, and chairs the AFP Global Chapter Support Committee. She also serves on the board of directors of Missouri Health and Care for All and is president of her Toastmasters Club. Sarah was the recipient of AFP St. Louis's Outstanding Young Professional Award at National Philanthropy Day 2018 and is a graduate of the FOCUS St. Louis Impact Fellows Program. She's now pursuing a Doctor of Business Administration at the University of Missouri St. Louis and expects to complete her dissertation in 2023. And her resume is much more impressive than mine, and you're going to hear why as we dig in. So, without further ado, let's get to that interview. Hello, everybody. I have a literal surprise guest on the podcast today. I've got Sarah Willie. Hello, Sarah. Hey there. It's a kind of a funny story uh, how Sarah has ended up on the podcast I was supposed to have an interview today, and it fell through. So I just reached out. Social media is incredible, if you guys didn't already know. And I just put it out there on Twitter. Oh, I just it's not happening today. If anybody wants to come on, let me know. Like in two seconds, Sarah was like, so what is this? I don't mind coming on. And lo and behold, she's in the trap. I don't know how, but she fell in. So I've got her trapped. (laughs) Uh, But she's out with... Uh, University of Missouri in St. Louis, and she deals, I know, at least from watching you online, a lot with uh, fundraising. How did you get so involved in fundraising? I mean, you've got a—your list is pretty impressive, and watching you with your your tweets and what you're involved with, you're definitely a—I mean, a front-runner, at least, and big— fundraising. So how how did you get in with that? Yeah, that's a great question. Fundraising, you know, it, it's a profession. It's an emerging profession. I would say that there's, there's still a little internal debate on if we check all the official boxes to be called a profession, but many of us do consider this a profession. It's something that historically people would get into because 
they would be in some other career and fall into it accidentally. And that used to be the dominant story when we would gather together at conferences and things. And now there are actually academic programs where people can, you know, study fundraising and philanthropy and nonprofit management and then come into the field. And that will probably at some point become a bit more of a dominant narrative within the field as a lot of younger people are coming in that way. I am a hybrid of the two. I was always drawn to nonprofit organizations. And when I graduated undergrad, I did not know that there is, you know, fundraising as a job as an option. So I fell into another career. But my pathway in was I was working at a higher education institution that had a program in nonprofit management. And so since I was working there, I decided to do a master's in that program Initially, when I signed up, I didn't know where I expected that to take me, but I knew that, you know, nonprofits tend to do good things and that having a career somewhere in that space would probably be a rewarding way to spend my life. And so I thought I would take the program and see where it led me. My very first class was on fundraising, and I discovered during that class that this is cool. This is something that I could really enjoy doing and would really like to do as my career. And so I finished that program. It was a master's in nonprofit management program and then made my transition into doing this as a career. Wow. And fun yeah, like you said fundraising is so I mean we we all have experienced fundraising. It's something that's always going on. There's always you've got the fundraising of in your schools, you've got the fundraising for the major nonprofits for food banks that are helping support the uh, for homeless and all of that. I mean, fundraising is out there. It is really interesting that it's looked down on sometimes. Do you feel that way, that fundraising is kind of like, eh? It, it, can, it can feel that way sometimes. I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding about what it is. I would say the majority of people who aren't close to it probably think of special events. They think of that big gala where everyone gets dressed up and goes out and there's a big fancy dinner and then somebody does an auction. And that is a thing that exists as part of the profession. And it's a very visible form of fundraising, but it's actually not the majority of what most of us do. In fact, there are plenty of people who work in fundraising who don't touch special events. Mm. And so I think that was that's a misconception. People think of it as just sort of party planning. And well, it's it's not that can be a part of it. And some people choose to focus specifically on that and get really good at that. But in my current role, I at most maybe attend a couple of events, but there's a whole other department that plans them. And my role is, you know, the direct mail, those pieces that, that come in your mailbox and say, you know, here's something happening that you could help with. And so I put those together. There's people who do, you know, research and database management. So some people don't actually talk to the donors or ask for money, but they work within this this sphere of fundraising. And then you get folks who kind of do some of all of the above. And there's the joke, you know, hide your wallet, right? Because that person who works in fundraising is coming over and uh, asking for money is is a part of what we do. And there's uh, a lot of training that goes into doing that well, but it's actually a small part of the overall process because fundraising really is about telling stories and building relationships. Yep. And I think that is awesome. So there's power in numbers, not just in, in money numbers. It's a lot easier to do something fundraising-wise. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this is my my personal view. If I am seeing my neighbor, uh, somebody in my community, if those everyday people 
are behind this fundraising event, it makes it personal. And I'd be more willing to open my wallet for something like that. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And a lot of what folks who work in fundraising do is look for those ways either to give you a platform to tell that story, uh, you know, so maybe having a volunteer or passionate donor do some maybe guest blogging or or, or invite people to an event, uh, that kind of thing. And now there's this whole world of peer-to-peer fundraising. So you think about things like GoFundMe that often happen for fundraising outside of the context of an organized nonprofit organization, but we can build our own platforms that function in a similar way for our own organization's websites. And I think that's an area of fundraising that we will see grow over the coming decades. Yeah. Now, since we're in the middle of COVID-19, obviously, do you think fundraising is easier to do now or is it harder to do? Because I've seen posts about both ways that it's incredibly easy to do now, but it's also really, really hard to do right now. Well, how, do you, how do you feel about it? In a word, yes. Uh, <laughs> it, it is It is both. It is both things. So for it depends on what you're doing. If you are an organization who is event heavy or if your role at an organization is very focused on special events, things are really challenging because, of course, you can't hold the gala. You have to worry about canceling your reservations and whether or not you had deposits to get back and then thinking about the people who would have bought a ticket to come and sit in a room and will they still do something online and how do we do something online and if I've spent 20 years learning how to do a great in-person event I don't maybe have the knowledge and expertise right this moment to 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 make that that transition to converting it to an online event and so there was a lot of challenge there. And a lot of organizations are very dependent on special events for their funding. And so it's causing a lot of pain for those types of organizations. Uh, same thing for groups that are very um, theater and, and museums, places where admission is a big part of how they raise their money. And that's not just direct donations, but, you know, kind of an earned income situation. But yeah. having a dependence on, on those in-person pieces is really difficult And I think for organizations that do things that don't directly tie to COVID, it can feel really hard to ask for money. So again, you're talking about your museums and, you know, art is important, but it can feel really challenging to try to talk about the importance of art in a moment where people are facing this sort of immediate life-threatening challenge of a new virus and facing these immediate economic devastations as the economy suffers and some people lose their income during uh, all the shutting down that has to happen to protect public health. So I think that, you know, it's been harder for those organizations that can't say COVID has impacted, um, you know, people directly and and we're solving those exact problems that are on the news right now as the headlines. So Mm -hmm. as a university, you know, we can talk a lot about, you know, people still have to go to school and a lot of our immediate fundraising was about things like helping our students face uh, possible eviction or face, you know, food insecurity during an economic crisis so that they could continue to focus on their studies. Um, so I've seen, you know, food banks and organizations that are really directly dealing with uh, healthcare organizations that are directly treating patients or trying to do research for a vaccine. Those are easier asks to make and more comfortable asks to make during a situation like this. And for somebody like me who's focused very much on direct mail, well, that's still pretty easy to do. Uh, I can still write something. I can still have it printed. I can still send it to someone's mailbox. And so the the biggest challenge there is just figuring out what message is appropriate, knowing that folks are 
more likely than any other time I write a letter to be facing their own really uh, sort of critical challenges in their own life. And we don't know what somebody's situation is on the other side of a letter anytime we write one. But we know that the odds are a little bit higher right now that people might not be in a position to give. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and from my perspective, the important thing is just to ask anyway and give people that opportunity. Because for those who can, man, we have had months of feeling so helpless right. as we as we can't get together with people. We can't, you know, I can't go visit my, my Nana and I can't do some of the volunteer work that I would have done in person but I can still write a check. I still have a job. I can write a check and I am more inclined to give right now because it's a way to do something, a way to feel like I'm helping. And that's really for me what fundraising and philanthropy is about is my job is to give people that chance to help and to do something good. And that that's more important during a pandemic. So I think that it's important to keep going. And you bring up that the word helpless, and that's been a big thing just the past couple of months. What can I do? It's that, you know, I can't go anywhere. I have to stay home or I can't go see somebody. You have to attach something tangible to that fundraising event. What is it that I am getting from this? If I give you $5 and that's it, well, then I don't feel, you know, fulfilled by doing anything. But if I know that the $5 is going to feed someone who is not able to go out to the store right now because of their, um, you know, their immune compromised... Oh, I, you've opened you've opened the door. Fundraising people that do it like you, it's that yeah, like you said, that storytelling and making it real. Because um, mm-hmm. we have to, you have to spell it out sometimes for people to make it. Oh yeah, that's what that is. One one of my favorite ones that has happened here near home is when everything shut down back in March, and they were it, everything was just like. Don't go out. Uh, try to send somebody to the store to get your groceries for you. So the school district was helping. They partnered with a local charity and raised money to help feed the elderly. And it was incredible the amount of people that came out, and they would deliver the meals to the elderly because they weren't able to be able to, you know, to go out and get it themselves. That was very tangible. You know, hit right at home, like it's right on your doorstep, because my grandparents were right in it. I wasn't able to go go see them. How could I help them? Well, that was my opportunity to do it. And that was, it, it, it's, there's just something, uh, when you feel good about what you're doing, then you're, you're in good shape. <laughs> yeah, I know. I love that story. And that's, that's exactly why I think those of us who stay in this field, stay in this field, because how great that we get paid to help facilitate that and make that happen. And it's I know you all are have to be under a challenge. I am not I'm not a fundraising professional by any means. I can come up with some ideas, but the execution is where a lot I think a lot of us lack that the knowledge and lack the help. Uh, we hate to ask for help for something like that. I'm, we're just going to do it and leave it as is. We overlook people like you that know what you're doing, why aren't we asking help from you? You know, what is it that's keeping us from from reaching out? I don't know. Do you know what it is? <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> well, I think there's, there's two things that occur to me. One is that, 
you can't ask for something you don't know exists. And I think that a lot of people just don't know that this is a thing anyone can be an expert in, that it's it's a field that exists. That's a very And I think the second part is that it's very hard to ask for things. And so I would say it's almost harder to ask for advice and help than it is to ask for money even. That's very... And you rarely get things that you don't ask for. That is, like like you asking good. for someone to come on the podcast, right? Well, like that's, you just yes, have to ask. That's true. I guess I just... So I the answers are just slapping me in the face right now. I mean, what you just said, it, it's true. In the middle of this, I had told Sarah off before we started this that I work for a theater. That is my That's my job. It has nothing to do with the podcast, so don't come after me. We had been, you know, there's a lot of, should we be asking for money at this time? And there's a lot of, you have to get the legality of it, and there's a lot of loose strings and everything. But a lot of times it came up, you know, we were taking a step back of, do we need the help or can we help somebody else? Fortunately, we've been able to help other people. We've not needed to help, you know, have that help come to us. I know not a lot of people are in that shape. I don't, it makes you get creative. In a time of need, you have to get creative. Just like you with your with the um, mailing. You've had the past six months, and I'm sure you've had to pivot in a different way than you ever have before of how to try and keep this going when, every, when it seems like everything is stopping. But it's not stopping. Nothing has really stopped. We just really slowed down. But everybody, people still have money to give, and there are still people out there that need it. Right, absolutely. The, I mean, the need in many ways is greater than it's ever been, and and people really do want to help. And so I really think of it as, you know, it's not about asking someone for something that they might not want to give up. It's really about providing people an opportunity and an outlet for their generosity. And we really have a duty to, to make sure people know what their options are and how they can be helping others. They can choose to step through that door, right? But we have to put it out there and give them that opportunity. Right. Yep. And uh, sometimes spell it out for them, too. Uh, you have to lead right to it. <laughs> uh, right. Options. I don't know. Fundraising-wise, just let me ask, should you have a lot of options when you're trying to do fundraising? Or is it the fewer options, the better off you are? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think there's, you know, you can get into psychology, especially when you're talking about a not face-to-face ask, right? How many buttons do you put on the website? How many choices do you put there? And you definitely always want your donors to feel like everything they're doing is their choice. And you also know where the need is greatest. And unless they have strong feelings about wanting to fund a certain thing, you want to direct them towards where the need really is and where the money can be best spent. And as an organization, you understand the the needs in the community and the way that you're trying to serve those. And, you know, less choices is less overwhelming. So, you know, I do think it's it's good to, to limit what you're throwing in front of someone so you don't overwhelm someone. But it's also good to know all of the the possible opportunities that exist. And when you start talking about sitting down face-to-face with someone and having a conversation, they can guide you, right, towards what their interest is. And then you'll know what are the best options to present so that you're not giving them the whole buffet, but you're really leading them to the thing that you know that they're interested in. Right. One of the things that I've learned, I mean, we all know social media is powerful. Email is powerful. Mail is powerful. I don't care what people say. It's, I mean, I still get bills in the mail. 
if it wasn't powerful, how come I wouldn't cringe every time I go to the mail, the mailbox <laughs> and I get a bill? It's it's just a different form. It's a different way of getting information to people, and you need to use it and find out what works best for you. I know with COVID happening, I've been on social media more than ever, but I've also discovered more options. I ran into you. I was able to meet you because of the conference that um, the University of Missouri, what was it? UM, UMSC, right? UMSL, um, UMSL so University of Missouri, St. Louis. Yep. Duh. I got my, uh, my initials mixed. I don't know where I was sending you, but I attended that conference online. Well, guess what? Opened up a new door. There I am. Now I made more connections out of that. It's the same thing for fundraising. You've got to be able to, it, you have to put yourself out there. People are not going to come and they're not going to just search for you either. So why, why am I going to be going out there and necessarily searching for you? I sometimes have to put myself out there so that they can discover me. Make it make that it's that that button thing. Take one button away, one choice away. They don't have a choice. I'm there. Boom. Now I'm done. So now I, you're aware of me and you just have to keep that presence. Sarah's got a great article out about if you are involved in fundraising and you're interested in it. She's got a great article through uh, Bloomerang dot co and it's talking about fundraising conferences uh and how that they need they need to be more personal is that is that a good summation yeah it's about having practitioners speak more frequently we get a lot of there's so many wonderful consultants in the field and we learn a lot from them and in many ways it's more valuable for them to take the time to prepare to present at a conference because for them it's also a form of lead generation it's really wonderful to hear from people who are actually doing this day-to-day in an organization, not that consultants aren't doing work and that they're not working with organizations, but it can be really great to hear from your peers who are facing the same types of pressures and challenges and hierarchies and relationships with you know, executive directors and board members talk about how they're navigating and, and be able to share their lessons learned. And we just don't see a lot of that. And so I wrote this article to try to give some advice to a practitioner who might think that it's not accessible for them to speak at a conference and really give them some encouragement and some tips so that maybe more of them will apply. Where can people get in touch with you if they're interested in uh, fundraising or even with uh, University of Missouri St. Louis? Anything like that? Well, I'm, I'm very active on Twitter, as you know. Um, so my handle on Twitter is at Sarah Nicole 838 which is S-A-R-A-H-N-I-C-O-L-E, and then the digits 838. Um, so I'm always happy to talk with folks there and, uh, and, and escalate those, those interactions uh, like we're doing today, moving beyond just uh, tweeting back and forth and having conversation. Uh, I'm also very active on LinkedIn, and so I'm easy to find there. Just search for Sarah Willey, W-I-L-L-E-Y, and always happy to connect with folks. And I try to, you know, publish some articles and information and share other folks' knowledge as well. Uh, I like to be a resource for people. Can you, do you limit fundraising to anything? Is there anything that is beyond being able to help in a fundraising capacity? Any, like, if a small business wanted to try and help fundraise, not just for themselves, maybe they wanted to do it for the community. 
Are they not allowed to do that? No, I don't think there's a lot of limits to who can be involved in fundraising. I think that there are a lot of opportunities for corporations and small businesses to to fundraise for other for, for on behalf of nonprofits to partner with nonprofits in ways that are actually beneficial to both that, you know, brands taking stands and doing good things in the world mm-hmm. can have a, a positive impact on the bottom line, certainly. And if there's a way to benefit the business while also doing good in the world, there's tons of opportunities for that. And there's so many ways to give. I mean, I I think time is as much a gift as money. And so even extending into volunteerism, again, that can be either individuals or, you know, I know some of our larger corporations in the St. Louis area love to do organized opportunities for their 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 staff to volunteer with meaningful causes. Um, certainly our university has partnered with some of our large businesses that way, and lots of other nonprofits in our community have partnered with businesses that way. Yeah, and so, and I asked that because I had told you before that I, small businesses are trying to help, if I can, get word out for them. Nothing is too small. If you want, if you feel the need to try to help out somebody or help out a business, anything, then do it. There's nothing, you you just need to take that, take the risk. It's not really a risk if you're trying to help because um, somebody is going to back you. Somebody is going to be there with you and reach out for help. Sarah already mentioned that. It's, we're afraid of asking for help. We do, We just need to stop. <laughs> we need to stop being afraid and ask for help. There's nothing. Right. Or just push through it and do it anyway. Right. Right. Like sometimes things are scary and we say, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be scared the whole time. I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. I mean, every single time I am doing a, an interview, I'm nervous. It's just, but I, but I like it because it gives me the, gives me some energy. If I'm not nervous, then I guess I'm in trouble. Uh, (laughs) But it's the same thing. The, a fundraising thing. It's, it is, it's tedious. It's a little scary. But there's a lot of help out there. There's a lot of people like Sarah that would be willing to help you because that's what they do. That's the whole point is to help people. It's people helping people helping people. So, I mean, it just keeps going. Fundraising right now, I think it's going – it's really big. And I think next year – now, you may feel differently. I would say next year fundraisers or at least when COVID is over. Let me back up. When we have a vaccine and everybody's cured, and it's all well and done, even if that's 20 years from now, fundraising, because we got to pick up the pieces where we left off. we got to be able to move forward. And I don't know. Maybe I'm just too optimistic. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I'd live in a dream world. Ah, I just want... I just want everything to be well. I want everybody to be well. And I want businesses to keep thriving. And all. Oh, yeah, maybe I'm wishing too much. No, I'm not. You're never wishing and hoping too much. Um, no, I don't think so. Optimism's always a good there thing. There you go. Always. And it's a Friday. We're recording this on a Friday. So that's always good. Always good. One last question, Sarah, before I let you go. Okay. I always ask all my people. Have you ever been to Dollywood out in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee? You know what? I have not. It is on the list of things to do, and we just haven't made it out there to do that yet. Have you been to, uh, because I think you're closer to Silver Dollar City. Have you ever been there? Yes, I have been to Silver Dollar City. I was 
quite little. My my biggest memory that I remember is I was not quite quite tall enough to ride one of the roller coasters without a booster seat. And I remember that really grated on me because I felt like I was a pretty mature child and I should have been able to ride it like a big kid. Uh, <laughs> so that gives you some sense of how old I must have been uh, at the time. I, I love a booster seat on a ride. Mm, I, I, I hope it didn't go upside down at least. So <laughs> No, it was nothing that, nothing that exciting. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine doing it? Uh, we're going to give you a booster seat on... On an upside down roller coaster, that's gonna that'll go over really well with everybody. Oh my! Well, right. if you if you ever make it, you'll have to go out and let me know. Uh, we're big fans, so and uh, we always enjoy it. Thank you again for for coming on, and thank you for uh, for the surprise uh, agreement to it. And I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, I really enjoyed this. I think you know it just really speaks uh, to the power of social media, right? That we can make these connections and. Here I am on your podcast, and uh, hopefully I said some things that will resonate for your audience and be useful and enjoyable to listen to. So. Yeah, and go out and do some fundraising for anything, and let us know that you're doing it. Or if you want to get in touch with Sarah, get in touch with her. She, I'm, I'm sure, ready, willing, and able to do anything she can to help your event. Thanks again, Sarah. Yeah, thanks so much. Don't forget, if you would like to come on the podcast, or someone you know should come on the podcast, or a small business that you would like to support, if you want me to get in touch with them, or have them get in touch with me, do it. Connect with me. We'll Send me a message. We'll get it done. And we'll try to support as much as we can. Just love hearing the stories. Love little story time, background stories. Don't you? That's the fun part. So thank you again. Be sure to connect with me on Twitter at Snapshots Made, on Instagram and Facebook at Snapshots Made Yesterday. And remember, those snapshots made yesterday are the memories for tomorrow. Thanks for listening.